Okay, first thing, super quick. So have you guys heard of this Twitter account? It's called New York Times First Said. Have you heard of it? No. Okay, so it's kind of just like this fun little Twitter account where they track all of the articles being published by the New York Times, and then they find words that are published for the first time. And it's just kind of like a fun thing because I'll send you guys this, or I'll post it in the doc. This is a link to a couple of the ones uh, that they published. So like deadass, for example, was a word like (laughs) first found in the New York Times, March 2019. Doom scrolling, May 2020. Uh, Tech bro, apparently it was January 2022. Like that surprises me. So this is just kind of like a fun thing, but I was thinking that this should exist for jobs. So on Indeed or Glassdoor or something, there's a really, really quick transition period these days between like just completely new jobs coming to market and I think there should be an account that tracks these like oh this is the first time I've seen like I don't know where I saw this but there's like professional falconer like what who does that how much do they get paid I don't know but I'm surprised to know it exists and I'm sure there's many more practical jobs out there that are coming to market that people should know about and so someone should just create the equivalent of this instead of the New York Times it should be for indeed how do they do this That's a great how do idea they track this uh, how do they track every word and check if it's ever been said before I think it's just a scraper I mean I don't know exactly how they set it up but I don't think it would actually be that and by the hard way this has 200,000 followers so for that person out there who's just been grinding trying to put out great content and has like 3,000 followers just know you could have been tweeting out like single word things from the New York Times and gotten 200,000 followers I actually think that's a great idea. Have you guys seen the... Uh, remember how we talked about this kid that was tracking Elon Musk's private jet, jet on yeah. Twitter? Now he's tracking all the private jets and private yachts of all the Russian oligarchs. Yes, yeah. great pivot. And t- shout out, shout out to you, pivot. kid. Great pivot, <laughs> yeah. man. Also, Elon offered him $5,000 and he turned it down. He's like, no, I'm going to keep doing my thing. But both of his accounts have a lot he of followers. He offered him five grand for Elon what? Jet. Stop? stop tracking him? Yeah. To stop. Yeah, because Elon was like, I don't want people to know where I am. What a stupid thing! If you're gonna if you're gonna come and offer someone money, do it right. Yeah, you, Five thousand dollars. You best not miss Elon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how you should have replied. <laughs> Five grand. Um, I think this is cool stuff. I actually think this is a wonderful idea. Um, I also think that companies would pay for this, right? As in, like, companies that have competitors want to know what their competitors are doing, and so like. We're launching something at HubSpot soon, and I've already gotten an email from someone who works at TechCrunch who's like, hey, saw this on your site, or like they basically dug something up that we published, and they're like, what's going on here? And imagine you had the same thing where you're like, oh, I saw like Salesforce is you know, hiring for these roles, or I didn't know that was a role at Netflix. I think companies would pay for that intel. That's actually crazy fascinating. If you could aggregate, like let's say that you're in the, when, when I was at the hustle, I cared about what like there's like 30 companies that I cared about what they were doing. It would be kind of interesting to act if I would have paid a monthly fee and I would have gotten a daily email with like the movement and people's job uh, job listings. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. I don't think it's so interesting, like the the Falconer or whatever. It's like, oh, whatever. Someone made up a random job. But oh, like oh, we see this a lot where it's like, oh, Netflix is hiring a Web3 engineer. That means they're probably trying to explore something in that space. And so you can kind of get a sense of what direction somebody's going. Oh, they're hiring enterprise sales. Okay, they're trying to go up market, right? So there's a competitive intelligence that comes from these. But I think that I do think that exists. I've seen people tracking these. I don't know if they're just doing it for their own fun or if there's like a service that tracks that. Uh, but it is kind of interesting. I, I like that. All right, what else you got, Steph? 
Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. Oh, by the way, I should say well, one more on thing. The... One more thing about this. A hilarious story. I went into work one day and my buddy Neil, who's like a programmer at our company, he was sitting at the coffee machine making a coffee. It was like 10 a.m. And uh, I hadn't even said anything to him yet. We were just standing next to each other. And he just goes, these are my first words. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, he's like, he, did, he realized he hadn't spoke that day yet. <laughs> like, he had like gotten to work, <laughs> gone to the coffee machine, and like had started programming like his commute. He didn't talk to anybody. He was at his desk, he didn't talk to anybody. He just started with, these are my first words. And I thought that shit was so funny. And uh, and actually, it was, it was great. When he said that, I realized how funny Neil is. And so we've replaced our marketing person with Neil. He's our iPhone programmer. And he wrote all of the release notes for our apps because he was just hilarious. And he was like, low-key hilarious. But these are my first words. I'll, I'll never forget that. How That's does that so relate, relate to that? Uh, because it's like a word tracker. You know, first time the New York Times said this word. Oh. <laughs> so that's how I thought of that. First time Neil <laughs> yeah, spoke. Like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about. What are your first words every day? <laughs> right? Like, what's coming out your mouth for the first time every day? <laughs> Pay attention. Mine's usually like like a grump. It's like a, oh, fuck, when I say enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you ask no, me Sam, guess. yours is always just sup. To everyone, sup. <laughs> I usually say, I always say sup, yeah. Or I just like am sore from exercise or something. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, fuck. That's usually my first word. <laughs> well, that explains a lot. <laughs> All right. And then I forgot to tell you this, but this is the most important thing. Uh, I can't believe we didn't talk about this earlier, to be honest with you. Because if you're listening to this and you like what you're hearing right now, and you haven't gone and subscribed to the My First Million podcast wherever you get your podcast then that's the thing you've got to do. There's nothing more important than doing that right now. And don't do it because I said to do it. Do it because you want to do it. Do it because that's who you are. <laughs> All right, what else you guys have? <laughs> uh, I guess related to companies hiring. So you guys know Mischief, right? It's this like company that does these crazy stunts. They're on, I think, stunt number 70. And I th- their latest stunt, I thought, was really interesting and relates to this idea of just like creative hiring so if you scroll down t- 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 tell me about what mischief is i don't entirely get it because they raised funding but when you explain what they are i'm like who what grown adult would trust Dude, this it's, child it's with money <laughs> it's like south park or saturday night live it's a weekly show it's like a weekly sketch uh but it's just done through code they make a website instead of like a video making a joke they make a website that's a joke yeah but is it exactly m- does it make money i think it does i don't know how much they've made they've raised three and a half million dollars. So I don't know, like you're saying, I don't know who those investors are, what they're looking from mischief, but just to give like two examples. So one of them recently was, I think it's like called Tuntine. I don't know why it's called that, but basically it's called the game of death online, which you sign up, you get an account and you pay $10 to join the game. And all you have to do is log in daily to stay alive. And the last person who stays alive, gets all of the money. So it's just kind of like these silly, quirky games. But the last one they did was, 
they also do like commentary through their game. So it was a commentary on, uh, in this case, the MSAT. So they got people to pay $50 to take the MSAT. And the highest score won. It's basically like a, a their version of the SATs. Right. Um, and the person who got the highest score won the entire pot. So they didn't actually have that many people did it. They had 500 people who did it. But it reminded me of something you guys talk about on the pod or have talked about on the pod, which is, you know, the power of like crowdsourcing things like SpaceX, if they want to develop some new technology, they put out some competition and that tends to attract more interesting people than, you know, if they hire a bunch of recruiters to go, you know, find the people in theory they're looking for. And the so example, I like, the example I think you're thinking about is they were trying to figure out some like, were they trying to like decode some protein or something that helped with this AIDS um, medication and they like turned it into a video game and they'd spent 10 years trying to solve it. And then like a bunch of video gamers got it done in like three weeks. Yeah. Well, there's the SpaceX. What's, what's the SpaceX challenge? The one that everyone knows. Um, Which about X prize. It's just like they're, <laughs> that's not from space. Yeah. But there's also, but yeah, but yeah, that's like a, a version of that where they basically just put out the bounty and then let people, let anybody sort of enter to, to try to win. Okay, there's a, I feel like there's another one that SpaceX does. But in any case, like, what I'm getting at is all of, I mean, we work for HubSpot. There's all these companies that are trying to attract, like, quote, unquote, top talent. And they're doing it in a way that, in most cases, like, true top talent. Like, are you going to want to be, like, DM'd on LinkedIn and go through, like, a traditional interview process? Like, in most cases, no. And so my question is, why isn't there, like, a really like mischief style recruiting agency that puts out these challenges that the smartest people on the internet are like stoked to solve just out of like sheer pride that um, they then can funnel potentially into these companies. Maybe it's the case that these people just like would never want to work for these larger companies, but I just wonder why there isn't a more creative route. To I have something recruiting. I have something for you. So this is one of the very first articles the hustle ever wrote. I don't even know if you can Google it anymore. It was literally like, we wrote it like two weeks after starting. And it was about my friend named Max. And if you go, uh, Google, uh, Ben, the Hustle Google interview or the Hustle secret Google interview. So my friend Max was teaching himself. Some t- I, I, I got to remember all the details. This was like six years ago. He, he was uh, learning some type of coding, some type of language. It was, and it was like a rare language. And he was typing in all these things on Google. Like, what does blank mean? How do you do blank? And after a while... His his Chrome browser like went like looked like the Matrix, and it said, "You look like you might belong to one of us." And it, and he says, "We've noticed that you've been Googling a lot about this type of language, and we are hiring for that. Would you be interested in applying here?" That's amazing. And very few people ever saw this, but we wrote an article about this. This article got seen by millions of people. What's it say, Ben? What was the language? Google has a secret interview process, and it landed me a job. That's the headline. And and he ended up working there, and it worked. It worked, and uh, it was wild. That's dope, and you know only Google could do that because they own the browser and the search engine. But, uh, but what if you were just like what? What if there was just like an app that just sat on your computer, that basically just tracked everything you did? I know sounds great, but like gave you job opportunities based on what you do on your computer, right? Like if it knows that Steph is in all these different like subreddits and it's like and she's like looking at Google Trends and all this stuff. That's like a signal for what type of person you are, right? Like it's actually like a much higher quality signal in theory than any job interview you could do where you're just trying to like present yourself as a certain way versus like what you actually do on the internet, right? Like, oh, you spend a lot of time in Excel or what you you actually do on your computer. It's like, 
you spend a lot of time in Excel, you know, so uh, we've seen we've seen what your capabilities are. Okay, if you're doing macros in Excel, you could probably qualify for certain types of jobs. And so I wonder if there's like a thing you could do like for college students. It's like, hey, put this on your computer. And like, do you want your first job out of college? Like, we'll, we'll help figure out what that job should be. We'll help get you like a job opportunity uh, just by putting this like tracker on your computer. Quick interruption. Do me a favor. Scroll down and you're going to see a link to The Hustle. So if you want to stay up to date on the tech and business news you need to know, check out The Hustle. It's a daily email. I used to help write it. I love it. So check it out. Scroll down below. Sounds very not Yeah, evil. I mean, the, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I know. It's always like a, oh, tracking everything on your computer thing. But the reason I thought of this is because I watched the QAnon documentary and in it they have, have you guys heard of like Cicada 3301? No. 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 It, it's they covered it in the documentary, but basically it was like the epitome of these like crazy online puzzles. I think there's been three of them. The first two were solved. The third one still has not been solved. And they are like, you know, there's there's like a picture online and there's like a message and encrypted in that message. There's a bunch of numbers and then you have to know to like go to another website and put it in. The point is a lot of people thought that this was actually a recruitment tool for like either the NSA or the CIA. And so I was like, man, there should be something maybe not that crazy. But something did, did, like did that online that? for companies. Did you guys ever do one of those? I did this in college. We found this website and it was like, you know, it said some like vague thing. It was like, the game has only begun, but have you realized it? Like, have you oh. realized that it's begun yet? And it's like, you have to like right click view source and in the source code, there's a URL. You go to that URL and then it downloads an audio file. You listen to the audio file. It sounds like nothing. You listen to it backwards. All of a sudden it gives you coordinates. You go to those coordinates on a map, the map leads you. And it was like a 50 part game like mystery game and me and what all my this? friends got totally obsessed with this we spent like hours and hours and what hours was this called weeks. i don't remember what the name this is back in college this is like 15 years ago but like the uh i remember at the end the the last puzzle we could never solve and i think the guy just made an unsolvable puzzle like i just think there was no solution uh and his name was mr wiggles or mr squiggles or some shit like that and he um he had this puzzle that was like the unsolvable thing at the end, but it was so much fun. And actually, now that I think about it, that is actually a great like filter and barometer for who might be good at certain types of types of work. Like the type of person that would do that for fun and solve that problem, I would love to hire that person, right? Because I know what. Well, that took. could you could you be like? Uh, there's this awesome, like if you're that game maker, Mr. Wiggles or whatever. Like, could you like do that as a service for a variety of companies? Uh, and like make these games like, hey, we're going to try and find you. But I bet it's like, hey, I bet we're, we're going to do this thing, this and this thing. And I bet you we're going to get you 20 new applicants every month yeah, to totally. these silly games. But they're going to be high, high quality. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. That I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Steph, what's uh, what's Newly? So Newly, have either of you guys heard no. of Newly? N U U L Y. I think this is just a quick one, but basically, so it's this company that is part of 
the Urban Outfitters subsidiary. So Urban owns Urban Outfitters, Anthropology, Free People, and Newly. And Newly is a different take. So all of those other businesses sell clothes in a very traditional way. What Newly is is a rental business. So every month they send you six items. You choose those six items on your own. They send them to you. You get to rent them for a month. And then at the end of the month, you have the option to keep them at honestly, a pretty discounted rate, somewhere between like 15 to sometimes up to 60%. And they have a ton of brands in there, including their own brands. And the reason I thought this was interesting is, you know, there's other rental clothing services out there, but this is tacked on to existing businesses that weren't renting clothes. And it spoke to me because it was kind of similar to what Amazon's done, turning a cost center into something that maybe in this case isn't a profit center, but is way more profitable, I think, than the traditional clothing business that they have. So if you guys remember, I think, was it Mark Lore or um, one of your guests talked about just how many returns there are for clothing? It's let me just pull up a stat right here. It's like 20%, right? Yeah, exactly. And a return with clothing can cost up to 66% of the the cost of an item. So actually, a lot of these clothing stores were just saying like, look, you can you can just keep the stuff. You don't even have to send back the item. In this case, Newly not only uh, doesn't have to like send items to people and and not have them return because it's so expensive. I'm paying Newly to rent these clothes. So they're not losing money on the rental. They're now making money on the rental and they've structured it in a way where it's actually really compelling. And so I think Newly's, I don't know the exact size of it now, but at least where I live, I've run into like at my co-working space, all of the girls there are wearing newly. And I just like, I wonder how this can be applied to other businesses. So like, what are those cost centers that could actually be turned into a profit center? Sean, what's the return rate on the things that you're involved in through investments or whatever? This is way lower, um, way lower than the 20%. So like, you know, more like, uh, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if that number is, uh, like what percent of your orders get returned or what percent of your revenue, what, 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 is, what percent of revenue is your cost of returns? So I'm not sure exactly what that, what that's meant to quote, but you know, of course, any return is like a drain on the business. And so you, you know, any way that you could turn returns into, uh, to either a neutral or profitable thing would be, would be kind of amazing. What do brands do with returned clothing or returned items? They kind of like, so typically you sort of like, there's like a, it's like an ER, right? So the patient comes in and it's like, okay, it's, 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 it's a lost cause. You just got to dump it. All right. Right. Or it's like, oh, this could be patched up. Okay. So you just need to like re-tag it. It's in good condition. Re-tag it, put it back in a back in packaging. It's all good to go. Sometimes you have to like clean it, steam it, whatever. Like, and in fact, uh, there's a guy, Sonny, who follows us on Twitter and listens to the pod and he has this thing called rock returns. So I think he had an e-commerce brand. He had like a suit brand, like a nice men's suit brand. And returns were kind of like killing them because it's like a very kind of like heavy thing to ship and it's an expensive product. And um, he's like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And his 3PL or like his warehouse was not like they weren't willing to um, like reprocess the, the suit. And he couldn't he couldn't send out a questionable suit. So he had to know that this is like if it did get if it is going to be sent back out, it's in good condition. And so he actually created his own returns warehouse. And he's doing it for himself and now a bunch of other brands, right? Same as the AWS model. So he turned his cost center into a profit center. And I think this business is better than his e-commerce business overall. And he's just becoming an expert of like, oh yeah, like here's the efficient way to handle returns. And now he's doing it for himself and a whole bunch of other e-commerce brands. And uh, 
And he's like nerding out about it hardcore. He's like, dude, I found this new way of like steaming the thing that like makes it, you know, where we get extra 10% of them back into circulation because they're, you know, they're better now. Or like we could turn it around at this cost. And they just charge like a cost per return processed basically for, um, for, for the brands. Damn, that's bad. Because usually what makes you good um, at processing returns is not the same thing as what gets you good at like warehouse, a general warehouse with a bunch of pallets and boxes and shipping orders out. It's like takes like a different skill set in a way. Can we talk about uh, one other idea? Yeah. So what you talked about, Sean, reminded me of. So there's all this real estate, and I'm sure this is like a overdone idea, but there's all this real estate that people have access to. And not everyone knows what it can be used for. So maybe it could be used for a fulfillment center. Maybe your garage could be rented out. And there's a couple examples that I they came upon that I thought were interesting. And I wonder if someone could aggregate all of these different ways that real estate or parts of real estate can be used to, to gain some income. So let me give you a couple examples. A lot of people have heard of solar panels. So companies will pay you so that you can install solar panels on your roof you'll get into a licensing agreement and they'll make money off of that. That's why they'll often install it for free. Um, another example is churches. So apparently due to the height of churches and specifically the steeples on churches, different telecom companies will pay these churches for access to their steeple. So an example is the Na National Cathedral in Washington is paid, guess how much actually, guess how much they're paid by Motorola every single year? I would have thought like a thousand a month. So 100000 a year just for access to their 234-foot tower. And some churches are even building steeples. They don't even have a steeple, but they're like, look, I heard this other church is getting hundred k a year. We want that. So that's another example. One final example I'll share is Surfline. My partner, he surfs all the time. He uses these surf cams to check you know, how the waves are every day. Well, where are these surf cams? Apparently, they're actually in people's backyards. So if you have a backyard that is in a strategic area to see the surf, you can either sign up yourself or you can recommend or refer people to be like a surf cam house. They'll come, they'll install it. And then I believe you get, I'm not actually sure in this case how much, but you get paid a certain amount to have that surf cam in your backyard. So those are three examples. I'm sure there's many more, but I feel like there should be a site that says like, oh, you've got a house in this area. You have a roof that gets this much sunlight or it's this tall or it's this much square footage would, would you go as far as to put this into cars too one time years ago sean and i listened to this pitch of this guy who created a you know how cab cabbies have like advertising on top of their car he was doing that for uber drivers and uh i don't actually know i i see him everywhere but i don't know how the business what happened with it the business it raised but, a huge you, valuation so so they definitely got some traction i think it's like a multi-hundred million dollar company now it's called firefly what? Um, wow. Yeah, and there's another one that has like the screens. Have you guys been in Ubers where it's like the back a screen it. and it's just oh, playing yeah. ads? Those ones are, I feel like the execution on that has been terrible, but like that's another example where it's like, oh, you ha actually have valuable real estate, which is the back of this car seat because you have so, so people's Steph, I have an attention. idea for you. Um, new side project for you. It's called the Side Hustle Generator. And we'll put it on the My First Million podcast website. And it's a side hustle generator. All, it's just a giant quiz that leads you into a list of potential side hustles you could be applicable for. So you're like, you know, in your thing, it's like, do you, do you own a church? <laughs> you know, do you, do you live by <laughs> yeah. the surf? Do you, um, do you have a car that you don't use all the time? Right? Like there's all these different ways. Cause I think, you know, people, um, people don't realize the number of opportunities that are like literally at their fingertips. It's like, do you own a phone? Do you know you could get paid 
to test websites for companies. All you gotta do is just go to their website and just talk out loud as you try to use their website, usertesting.com, right? Like my, my mom didn't know that. And then she knows that. And that like kind of like changed her life a little bit, right? She like all of a sudden had this thing she could do every day that kept her busy, that made her some money and she enjoyed it. Um, then, you know, Airbnb, I remember telling my parents about Airbnb. It's like, you know, took some, you know, somebody had to educate them about it, but now they make six figures a year, Airbnb being their home. And so there's like, how many of these exist? Your parents do? Yeah. Where do they go? Uh, they'll just go like, you know, to a hotel. They'll go on vacation. They'll just leave the city. They'll come to my house. They'll go anywhere. Like they don't, they don't care because they, they can get like, you know, 700 to $800 a night for their home and they'll go rent a hotel, you know, if 40 minutes away or an hour away, they'll go to wine country or whatever and rent a hotel for $200 and they, you know, they pocket the difference. Did you guys remember the company? I bet stuff you do. The Penny Hoarder? Yeah. So the Penny Hoarder started as a blog. It started by this guy named Kyle. He spoke at one of our events. He's a cool dude. And then his uh, business partner uh, is a friend of mine. And anyway, he started it in 2012. And he started it where he would just talk about all the side hustles he was doing. So for example, he would go on TaskRabbit and like get people's groceries. And he would talk about how much money he was making. He would become an Instacart driver. He would talk about how much money he's making. He would do an Uber driver and how much money he was making. And he got really good at getting traffic. And eventually, he go, Uber goes, hey, for every new driver you refer to us, we'll give you $2,000. Instacart did the same thing. TaskRabbit did the same thing. Uh, user testing did the same thing. And then like uh, a person who like you need to answer surveys. And so that's what he did. And he built this business, this digital ad business, um, he when he came to the event, he brought his dog, and I was like, "Oh, how'd you get your dog on the plane?" He goes, "Oh, I fly private." And I was like, "What? Are you crushing it that hard?" He goes, "Yeah, we bootstrapped it, and, and we'll do about seventy million in revenue this year." And he owned one hundred percent of the company, and he recently sold it for I forget the exact number, but it was in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And the whole premise was just on like talking about ways that you can make. It was mostly lower income people, like people like a, like maybe a mom who's just trying to like make ends meet with just like ten hours that she has available instead of taking care of her kids. And um, he killed it. This business crushed it. You've never heard of the penny hoarder, Sean? I heard I've heard it from you, but I never went to it, so I never like used it. It's just a WordPress blog. Yeah. That's it's all crazy. it is. Uh, sorry, I was looking all at Steph's is. doc and realizing how many interesting ideas there are in here. Steph, we have to do a two-parter. So, uh, so yeah. let's, well, let's let her bang back. out a couple more. Yeah, let's give, give us one more. I'll come back By the anytime. Way, the top of I mean, list was the worst ideas, and the middle of the list was the best ideas. So that's my <laughs> feedback to you. Well, why don't you tell me what, what's an interesting one that you you have your uh, eye on? Oh, I'm looking at some of these like trend success stories. I think those are pretty interesting. Um, that's one I was kind of looking at just at the moment. Which one of those is your favorite? Oh, hmm. Well, I feel like, okay, so let's call out a couple of them real quick. So last time I was on, I talked about like this idea of like your listicle is my opportunity. A couple people have actually taken action on that. They've created these sites that identify the healthiest versions of not very healthy things. So one guy started a TikTok. It got hundreds of thousands of views in the first few days. Um, and then someone else tweeted about this actually just, just last night. Um, let me see what they did. They're called fast food cravings, where basically the headline says, eat what you want, not what you can. And it lets you like put in a specific restaurant and find the healthiest version of the food at that restaurant. We talked about insider trading at on one of the very first episodes I was on. And this guy, after that episode, I think this actually existed before the episode, but Connor DM'd me and he was like, so there are these sites that track insider trades, but there are specific types of insider trades that are more interesting than others. And specifically, it's stock grants to executives. It's not obviously a sure thing, but he said, he was like, typically what that signals is the company trying to you know, invest 
in a particular thing, if the executives hit certain targets, it's, it's generally a good sign. Obviously not investment advice, but he created this community called Spring Loading. And what he does is he started a scraper that looks for all the insider trades, but then specifically vets them for this particular aspect. Like, is the company granting a buttload of stock to a group of executives? And he just, he basically shares these. And then he, I shared an example in the chat, but he basically, he sends the uh, financial report. He sends the grant details. Then he summarizes it. He says, look, these people are getting this grant. This is what I have you know, what additional information I have. And then he gives a conviction rating. So some of his conviction ratings are like, one, like, guys, this is probably nothing, maybe something. If you want to take a bet, go for it. Some of them, he's like, this is a five. So I I shared one, again, not investment advice, but he shared one, for example, for Cloudflare a little bit ago. Obviously, Cloudflare with all the other tech companies has tanked recently, but he was like, this is one of the biggest performance grants I've ever seen uh, with pretty massive price targets. I don't think there's any news in the near future, but I do believe that Cloudflare has massive potential and the stock is down 35% over the last month. And then he shares, again, the, the exact grant values, what targets they need to hit. So, for example, these execs have different price targets similar to, you know, you guys discussed like Elon Musk's like crazy price targets. If they hit, I think um, Cloudflare today is at 94 five dollars or something like that their first price target is 156 dollars and it goes all the way up to 979 dollars so this is what these execs internally are tracking towards so i don't know i thought that was like another interesting example i think he's i think this community is pretty successful he's charging people a monthly fee by this idea did you bet on this i haven't uh cal my partner, he's been in the community. He did actually, I mean, again, not financial advice, but he bet on one and I can't remember what company it was, but it did one one day like go up That's 10x. That's all I need. I, but this I, was I obviously also one, in the- uh, uh, Don't even tell me more, actually. Just <laughs> leave it there and I'm convinced. Don't even, I don't, I don't need anything else. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I definitely like don't want people to be go- going and gambling their money on, on that one anecdote. But it is interesting to even just like be in there. And, and what I've found, because I'll just like dabble in the community, I haven't placed any bets, but to see um, what, like I, I'm learning about a bunch of different companies that I've never heard of. I'm seeing like how these different companies are structuring stock grants and like why and someone commenting on it. And then of course, there's just like a bunch of um, a bunch of people commenting like, are you betting? Like, oh shit, like I'm 50% down. Like, how are you doing? And it's, so it's kind of like a fun community as well. Do you guys have, this is awesome. Do you guys have a, uh, like a, like a degenerate budget or like a learner budget where it's like, okay, this is my fuck around with money that I can, I can try different things. Or do you guys not do that? Sam, you're shaking your head. No, I don't, but, but do you, it sounds like you do. I do. Yeah. How much? Uh, well, let's talk about like in percentage terms. So it's like, you know, what would that be? It's like. Close. No, don't do percentage terms. Like literally how much? <laughs> like are you, like $50,000? No, more than that. Uh, wow. Yeah, for sure. And so what will you do with that? What's an example of your of, of a dumb, of a risky thing that you've done? Uh, like, <laughs> I think I've told this story before, but I remember watching. A, so the, the idea with these is, um, I'll just tell the story first. I watched a YouTube video of this guy. No idea who this guy is. Uh, some Wall Street, some some hedge fund guy. Basically, he's a prolific short trader. This is kind of like the vibe I got from this video. Couldn't tell you how tall. Couldn't was tell he? you his name. Couldn't tell you what his track record was. Uh, white guy looked reasonable enough, and uh, he basically was like, he's like, yeah, I'm. A, he's like, my short pick of the year is Tootsie Roll. And, uh, and I was like, well, I was listening. I was like, why, what Tootsie Roll? I didn't even realize it's a public stock. He's like, 
Tootsie Roll. He's like, first of all, who the hell eats Tootsie Rolls? He's like, do you think Tootsie Roll is growing? He's like, no, the people who eat Tootsie Rolls are like, you know, 50 and up. They're, they're dying market. Kids don't want Tootsie Roll nowadays. They want like all these other candies. He's like, Tootsie Roll has zero innovation. They refuse to change their product and um, they don't come out with anything new. He's like, and then it's also poorly run and not going to be sold. It was like owned by some woman who was like, I think it's owned by like a 92 year old yeah, lady. She passed away now, but at the time, this was like five years ago or something like that. Like uh, that, that this happened. I don't know when this was. This was, this was a while back. And um, I remember watching that video and I was like, oh, this guy's totally right. Tootsie Roll's fucking dead. And I went that day and I bet against Tootsie Roll. I made a bunch of money just on this like zero thought process, zero diligence. Like just like take a, take a punt and, uh, you know, do something on a whim. And so that was the first time I realized like, actually, I want a designated budget. And with crypto, this has become like, you know, kind of a necessity. With crypto, you basically have like, you have so many new things that are all interesting and you can't get to high conviction because they're new, it's rapidly evolving, like the opportunities in front of you today. And so you don't have time to diligence all these. You don't have time to get to high conviction, but you do know like where, you know, you can sort of sense certain signals. Like if a bunch of smart people are looking at it, um, if you see, you know, developer activity in that space, if the premise is like, you know, interesting, it might hit, might not hit, whatever. You, you can basically take punts on things in crypto and you get paid off Unlike the stock market, right? Like I think on the Tootsie Roll thing, I made like, I don't know, 20, 35%, something like that. In crypto, you can make like 20X when you're right on these things. And so with crypto, the, the odds just shift in your favor where, yeah, it's super fast moving and things can go to zero. But the the upside when you hit is so high, it pays for all of your other bad bets. And so I basically created a budget because I was like, I can't um, I can't overthink this. I need, to, I need to intentionally underthink this. So what does that mean? It's like, there's been, in the last five years, there's been so many examples of things that I've have come across my radar in crypto that I don't take action on because I feel like I don't have enough information to make an educated decision. And actually, if I had just made uneducated decisions, I would have done far better than my like educated decisions turned out to be because the space is just um, where there's a lot of progress being made and you, you can't keep up with all the different projects, all the different tokens. So I basically set out a budget where I said, if somebody tells me something that's interesting, I have money that I could just like dump into that. It's a small amount of money. I don't care if that money that money goes to zero and I'm not putting it all into one. So I'm taking like a portfolio of these and I, let's just see what the happens. And in doing so, I get to actually learn how these things work. Um, and so, you know, like uh, I did one the other day and I put it in the Milk Road explaining literally step by step what this what this project was and why I'm, why I'm going into it and how I have no idea if this is like a great idea, bad idea. I didn't audit the security of the project. Like I don't have time for all that. I'm just like trying to learn how these things work. And I'm putting small bets in a bunch of different areas with money that I'm, I can afford to lose. Do you do that stuff? So I don't. Cal does. Uh, I think it's smart, though, because like Sean's saying, these are the type of investments where like if you don't have money sequestered for this, it's going to it's going to capture your psychology. That's actually why I don't dabble in these things. But uh, he's done that a lot for NFTs. Right. So at first he was like, Steph, I'm just going to buy one. Obviously, he's bought, and bought more since then. But he he has a certain amount and like that's all he's willing to invest. If it goes to zero, he's happy with it. Um, but he's also probably sold a lot too early because he has a concentrated amount. So he's like, oh, I got to sell this to buy another thing. Uh, Sean, did you get into proof? I feel like that was a big. No, I, did, I didn't do proof. Uh, one of these, like, that's, a, that's a great example of one where I'm like, oh, interesting. Kevin Rose is doing this NFT thing. I should uh, I should, you know, I should just take a punt, right? Like it's, I, I'm seeing this before most people. 
um, I should go in and like, again, like with these things, it's not going to, it's not like going to go to zero, quote unquote. It's like, you know, so I can trade out of the thing if I want to in, you know, three months from now. But like to weigh each, to, I don't want every decision to be heavy. And, um, and I, you, have you guys seen this meme that's like the, it's like the curve. I think it's called like the midwit meme. It's basically like there's an idiot on one side, there's a genius, like a, so the, on one side is the idiot. He looks like a troll. He looks like, you know, like whatever, Shrek. And on the other side, there's like a Jedi master. And then the middle, which is like the top of the curve, is like the average person. And it's like, uh, you know, like, for example, like, oh, like the idiot would be like, oh, that monkey looks like, that's a cool looking monkey. I'll buy. All right. The, the genius is like, oh, this, you know, this has a chance to be an iconic, you know, like, like whatever, iconic NFT. Buy. I didn't think about it more than that. And then the like middle guy is like, you know, but why would anybody buy this picture of a monkey? And like, how, how do the tokenomics work? And they like try to like analyze the whole fucking thing and they're a they're just paralyzed that's some sort of analysis paralysis where they don't they don't take action on anything and then they overthink things so they miss the like the big simple opportunities that are in front of them a lot of times and um i heard the guy from yc who michael seibel talking about this he goes he goes this is often the case with startup ideas he goes a beginner like a, you know you out of college when you don't know anything about anything you just think it's all like you don't you don't know how hard it's going to be you don't know what a good, you don't know how to vet opportunities. You'll just be like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, let me try that. And then same thing with the Jedi Master. The Jedi Master's like, oh, like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we could take a rocket to Mars? Let's try that. You know, like <laughs> that's also the like, you don't need to analyze it beyond that at the beginning. It's like the, this fundamental decision is is very simple. And then like the person, he's like, the person I hate talk to, talking to is like the second time founder who's trying to like over-optimize their cap table and like try to get like really complicated about the like, the valuation and this and then that. And then they're trying to do like this lean startup validation about every single thing. And it's like, that's the hardest person to deal with because they're, they know too much, but not enough to know how to keep it simple. And uh, he's talking about like the best ideas, the best startup ideas. They go to like that, that idiot genius category where it's like, you know, like we should make cars that are electric, you know, like we should, make, we, should we should sell books yeah, yeah, online. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's like, books. yeah. What if we could buy a book online? <laughs> and it's like that's it, right? You don't need to go too much further than that. What's that? What's that video called? Uh, it's a it's one of the Y Combinator. It's it's Michael Seibel and this guy Dalton Caldwell. They do like a split screen side by side, and they just talk about something for thirty minutes. And this is one of them. Uh, I don't remember the name of the do, video. Do you know the name of the title? I want to listen. I can to find it, it uh, real quick while while you guys are talking. But I don't know. What, do by you guys the way, Steph, believe in that? Like this idea of the sort of like idiot genius, like don't overthink it thing. Well, I just oh, did yeah. the idea. I, I just did the idea. Well, go ahead, Steph. I'll let you go first. Well, I was just going to say quickly, like, y yes, I believe in it. And yes, I think it, it applies to like different things. So I would say I'm the like, would you call it like midwit or something? Midwit. Uh, somewhere in the middle for like midwit in, in finance. That's why I don't dabble because I'm like, I overanalyze things. I hear one piece of news. I'm out kind of kind of deal. But um, I think it applies to like with startups. I think I'm maybe not that with other things. I certainly am like just just terrible and so i think it like i our, think our, our friend jack is a great example of this right like he saw nfts and was like oh that looks cool like i'm gonna buy one i'm gonna make one uh what should i make it of i don't know like this what about this diagram i already have <laughs> like you know it's like the simplest shit and the guys made <laughs> millions of dollars this year how much how much do you think he's made off those how much do you think he's made on is he do you think he's like wildly wealthy from those uh i don't know you know he, he's done well for sure i think you know he he bought apes. He bought you know he bought a punk. I, I think he's bought some of the like the projects that went up from like for sure. You know, 
and uh, plural, like you said, like apes, not not like one ape. He's, he's bought multiple of all yeah, of those. Yeah, I think those were like priced at like, you know, what like a thousand dollars, like, you know, 18 months ago. And now each one is worth like, you know, 250, $500,000. So I don't know if he held, I don't know what, what it was, but even just the, the stuff he made, right? Like, I know a lot of people that are like, oh, Web3, the metaverse, I need to create an NFT project. It needs to have this and that and utility, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, I minted a picture of like a, you know, a thing that says not like not like right click save as you know it's, it's kind of like just making fun of the space sold it for like fifty thousand dollars right like did that in an afternoon and uh that's like the the mid you know instead of being the midwit over analyzer logical you know processor of all all things you know he went to the kind of the idiot genius zone and uh just took a punt and it, it, because he's in the idiot genius zone it's not heavy it doesn't take a lot of time or energy or money to like try it and so I specifically carved out a portion of my investing budget to say, look, this is my my gamble. Like, you know, I'll get rid of my gambling energy. I'll learn by doing this because I'll get, do things that I wouldn't otherwise do. And um, I'll have skin in the game. So I'll actually pay attention to it. Um, and like, who knows? You know, maybe I'll maybe I'll have some hit, have some hits out of this. And I bet I honestly think that that part of my portfolio is going to do better than the, the the well thought through, quote unquote, part of my portfolio. By the I way, do. Sam, I think you do this really well when people like I've seen people come to you and they're like, Sam, I'm thinking of like starting this business and like I want to cover this topic and I want to blog and, and all this stuff. And you're like, all right, like what's your first step? Or like you you'll be like, just write or something like that, which just like simplifies to the like idiot Jedi, like just do the thing, not like overanalyzing the like 50 startup it's, articles. It's when this Sam says dog, online. dog, you just need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> he goes Randy Jackson on him. <laughs> well, I get, I just get frustrated. I think because I think that like, I think that it's good. So if like building a business is step zero to 10 and 10 is like, you're this billionaire or like your vision has been achieved. You know, you, you, you own all this property, whatever that it is. It's good to have number 10. And then a lot of people are like, all right, that's step number 10. And then like steps three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I got to figure those out. In my mind, I'm like, no, what's the only thing that's important is 10 and one. And one, after you get done with one, you'll figure out number two. Just but until you get to number two, don't even think about worrying about number three. It, it's not important, dude. I have I have the um, same so, exact thing. I, I call it ABZ. It literally, like word for word, your thing. And I I went on Jack's to, to Jack's community. He asked me to give a talk and to his like uh, visualized value community. And I this was the one thing I told them. I go, you you have you're at A. That's where you are. Z is the vision. It's the dream. It's good to have that. It's good to know what that is, right? That's like the North Star. And like without that, you know, you don't really have the motivation. Or I don't really understand like what the hell you're trying to do. But where everyone gets paralyzed is they think they need to know step B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. And it's like, and then they get paralyzed or they start thinking about step D when they haven't even done, you know, A to B yet. And so I go, A, B, Z, it's all you ever need. It's like where you are, you got to know that accurately. The next thing you need to do, you need to know that. And then you need to know the end vision and everything else is irrelevant. Like just do that. And so you just literally said the same thing with your own, like with numbers, basically. Instead, that's, that's awesome. Great. <laughs> Great minds think alike. I mean, that's exactly how I feel. Because every time I've ever had any bit of success, or even when I've like done something and it didn't work out, I just think that like if you just start, and you're going to see so many things that you didn't even expect or realize were an opportunity, and or that weren't an opportunity. You're like, oh, I thought this. It's actually way different. But that's cool, or that's not cool. We got to quit. Uh, you know what I mean? And uh, you just that's why you just have to do something. Um, I have this. And I get really frustrated with inaction. I've been saying this lately. Uh, I love thin books and quick silence. And so what does that mean? Like, th- I love a thin book. Did you make that up? Yeah. 
I love a thin book because a thin book is like a simple idea presented without the fluff and that's it. That's the value. You know, don't, don't try to, you don't need a thick book uh, for everything. So I'm a big fan of thin books now. And then the other one is a quick silence, which is I call my buddy Sulio about every business question I have. Basically it's like, Oh, we're starting the milk road. Hey, what do you think about this? And then there's a quick silence. Like he says his thing. It's obvious. That's the answer. And I was like building up in my head. I need to like, Oh man, I really want to sit down with him and talk. It's like within three minutes, we've reached a good pause where it's like, well, I guess nothing else really matters till we go do that. Right. Yep. All right. Well, I guess I'll just call do that obvious thing. Yeah. Check you later. <laughs> and like, and so that quick silence to me is like now what I want, whereas I used to want to fill that silence with more detail, more analysis, more planning, more, uh, nuance, more like if then statements. And like, you don't really need any of that. Like we talk by the end of my sentence, he says his sentence, uh, sorry for, I guess I didn't really need a call. I guess I could have just done a text and, you know, like, I guess I kind of knew this to begin with. Like, maybe I didn't need to call you. Right. But that quick silence is really showing me like, that's when I'm on the right track is when I get a th either a thin book or a quick silence is like when I'm on the right track. And when I need more answers, uh, typically I'm just, um, I'm actually going in the wrong direction altogether. Dude, that's yeah, good. that I'm reminds gonna... me, uh, from coding. If you, uh, if you run into an error and you're on like stack overflow or something and you're just like, you're, you can't find your answer. It's probably because you're Googling the wrong thing. Like you've completely messed it up. You're in the complete wrong direction. Um, and I feel like that applies in, in most cases. If you find yourself asking like 10 questions, it's like, hold up. Like you are, you're just like going in the complete opposite direction that you should be like pull back and revisit. How many people reach out to you after each one of these episodes goes live, Steph, and said that they like want to pitch you on something or they want to recruit you to come join something? Well, it grows. And some of your buddies reach out, which is always fun. But uh, I whoa, feel like... Whoa, um, what are we talking about? What, what, what are we whoa, talking whoa, about here? <laughs> I don't want to drop any Rewind. names. But... <laughs> Dummy. Yeah, that sounds like a story. What's, what's behind that? No, no. I just mean like it, it's, it's cool because... Well, also, I, I should say like some people that I've really looked up to, I don't want to call out their names because I don't... Obviously, these are like private messages, but people that I've looked up to that I was like, oh, I used to read your stuff or like I've literally read your book or like... Or we're from the I, same country. Andrew Wilkinson I'm not naming any names, but uh, it's been cool. And it's grown, obviously, because you guys have grown the pod a lot. Um, so, yeah. That's well, there's few people I'll get a fist fight over. You are one of them, Steph. So <laughs> let me know who... Uh, who, you haven't who, broken your contract, Sam, so you're good. You're good. <laughs> uh, well, good. I'm happy you came. You have so much more to cover. I think we should wrap up here, though. Yeah. Sorry. I actually yeah. apologize to everyone who listened to this because Steph had a bunch of gold, and I feel like I took it in these really random directions. So to make up for it, we're going to do a, a second part of Steph if you'll come back, and we'll do more of these ideas yeah. rapid fire, and I'll shut up. Yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs>